chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Read through just 27. And the Sadducees came to Christ. The Sadducees are those who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So you're quite wrong. Father, we ask again that you bless your word and uh, help us to get some sense to it and work these things out in our brains and minds and um, dishonor yourself through your scriptures. This is your word, revelation of yourself. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you can remember back that we're in this section of scripture in Mark, at least, called the section of questions, or the day of questions. This is Tuesday before the crucifixion. And Jesus has asked these questions, and um, we're about to the end of these questions, and after this, um, he will not be questioned anymore by those who wish to try to trick him or fool him or tangle up his words. But as has happened already, he astonishes his listeners by answering the questions that they ask. And the last time we were together, we talked about this question of paying taxes, and Jesus astounded the crowd by saying, well, you pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And um, even his questioners remained quiet because they didn't expect that kind of answer. They thought certainly they had him tricked. Either he would say something to make the people angry or say something that they could turn him over uh, for, um, for questioning Caesar's authority. And so when he said this, they had no other questions for him, at least not that group. And I share with you that this Jewish Sanhedrin or the council, kind of like a Jewish Supreme Court that was in each uh, province there, uh, they're the ones sending these people out. And this this council is made up of Pharisees and uh, others, Sadducees. And we looked at the Herodians last time we were together and talked about them. Um. But now, interestingly, the Sadducees come to ask this question about the resurrection. Now, if you know anything about these groups of people, we talked about the Herodians, probably the least known. But the Sadducees, I probably could ask some of you about Sadducees, you've at least heard of them. Kind of know about them. And you probably learned in Sunday school, um, the way to remember Sadducees is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were sad, you see, right? And so you never forget that if you learned it. 
And so it's very interesting that the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, are the ones that come to Jesus to question him about the resurrection. Um, just so you know, they also didn't believe in anything supernatural. So they didn't believe in angels or demons and um, didn't believe in miracles. So it makes more of what Jesus said even um, astounding because he just hit them where they were. Um, they were the exact opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in all these things. They did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in angels. They did believe in demons and miracles. And so I already said this several times, but it's amazing the strange uh, bedfellows that war makes. So they all have one enemy in common, and it was Jesus. So ordinarily they wouldn't be able to have a conversation much together, but now they've all come together to try to get rid of this Jesus who was really messing up all their programs, right? He was flying in the face of all their um, popularity and all their self-righteousness, and um, so they hated him. So they ask him this question um, about the resurrection, and of course Jesus uh, knew this, and again they're hoping to trip him up and hoping he'll say something odd or different than what some group around wants him to say about the resurrection. And they come up with this question and it's really a, it's an argument that's very common what they do is they take a scenario or a premise and then they take it to its most absurd uh, ending or conclusion and then take that absurdity to try to argue against the premise in the beginning right um, we kind of see this nowadays uh, with abortion for example what's the first thing somebody's going to bring up what about incest and it's as if everybody that's having babies, they're all through incest and rape. And so suddenly they use those very tiny percentages to try to argue against why it should be okay to really take the life of a child for any reason. Because obviously this reason is okay, then every reason should be good. So it's kind of that premise, but even a more absurd one here. They take an Old Testament law, which we're going to look at and talk about, and they just carry it to this weird, uh, just absurd ending. Okay, so... Um, we'll look back at that. And they come to Jesus and ask this question. Okay, teacher, Moses wrote this for us. If a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow, raise up the offspring for his brothers. Now, what I want you to do, if you, if you will, just turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And we'll look at this because it is strange, especially to our ears. And we laugh about it from time to time because it's extremely strange if you try to start thinking about having to live under this law. Deuteronomy 25, beginning in verse 5, probably in your Bible it, there's a heading there that says something like laws concerning leverite or leverate marriage. And basically, that word leverite means um, a brother marriage or a next of kin marriage. So that's what it's talking about. And you'll see what the law says here. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And if the first son whom she bears, first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, then his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. 
he will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, which is probably where most of us would be, right? I do not wish to do this. Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face, and he shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Which is just kind of funny. I mean, I don't know how you read that without at least going, well on earth and sort of giggling a little bit. But, so this is the law that Moses had put into place. Now, if you're familiar with this, you'll know that this was already um, in place before this law. Before it was a law through Moses. All the way back in Genesis chapter 38, Judah you may recall, had a son named Ur. And Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. So, so Judah called on his son, Onan, to do this. Go into your brother's wife so that we can perpetuate his name. And then Onan did some other weird things that I'll let you read about. And he too was killed. And so the story goes on that she had to wait for the youngest brother who was not yet old enough to be married. So I'll let y'all read that later if you want to. Genesis 38. But I just wanted to point that out that it was, it was already a custom. And actually outside of Israel, it was already, it was, it was done a lot outside of Israel. But for whatever reason, God, for, for Moses and the people going into the promised land, he gave this as a law. And I think it was for the reason of what Moses kind of said there um, so that the, the name and the rights and the inheritance wouldn't be lost because the inheritance of the land and so forth was passed on to through the husband's bloodline. And so if this one husband dies and he's gone and there's no bloodline there to carry on his name, then it's like he would just disappear from the face of the earth and never be known. So it was for that reason, and it was to protect the, the, the wife because in that culture, uh, a husbandless wife um, was was not looked on very favorably, and it was hard for her to survive. Now, another beautiful story, uh, 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 I guess we consider a beautiful story of this because we don't often consider how odd this was then, was the, um, the story of Ruth, right? And the kinsman redeemer. That's what this is about. So it wasn't just a brother. It was the next of kin. And you remember in that story, um, Boaz was not the next of kin. There was another next of kin. And so he had to go to him and say, would you take this land? Oh, and by the way, if you want this land, that's great, but you also have to take this uh, woman to be your wife. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And you might remember there's this exchanging of sandal, taking off the sandal, all that is, is part of this law. So the Sadducees take that story, and they, want to, they don't believe in the resurrection, and so they want to make it laughable. Look how funny... This is, why this is why you shouldn't believe in resurrection. Let's just take this example. You have this woman, and her husband dies, and his brother can't do this, and his brother, until all the way down the line, she's tried seven times to get children from this one family, and it doesn't work. And so tell me, in the, in, in the afterlife or in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For seven had her as wife. And then... I love how Jesus, um, it's amazing people don't see this side of Jesus. He was very much uh, not always the meek and lowly Christ. 
I mean, this is pretty much in the face. Well, is this not why you're wrong? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, this is to the religious leader. This is to the, the men who would be considered religious experts. It was one of them groups. And he said, this is why you're wrong. First of all, he just flat says, you're wrong. Pretty much he says, this is why you're wrong all the time. You're wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he goes on to explain this. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now this is another very interesting um, scenario and a very interesting statement. Because we all have some wild and not so biblical understandings of what heaven's going to be like, right? And we all talk about, well, when we get there, um, and there may be some of these scenarios that we've been thinking through. Well, man, I've been this and that. What am I going to be when I get to heaven? And I think it's interesting that Jesus points out, hey, you know what? Heaven is not going to really be exactly what most people think it's going to be like. We're going to exist, and we're going to be known but our relationships are not going to be uh, necessarily the way we are in this life. And he points that out. They're going to be like angels. There's going to be no marriage and giving in marriage. So there's going to be no procreation. There's going to be none of these things that uh, we think about in this life. Now, I don't think that makes us sad. And I don't think that is something that uh, we should now be thinking, well, maybe I don't want to go to heaven if I'm not going to be my husband's wife or my wife's husband or whatever i think that however god has that worked out it's going to be just fine right it's going to be just fine <laughs> he's just making a point here you're coming up with this crazy scenario because you can't think of number one they didn't believe in the resurrection anyways so he's saying you're thinking of heaven it's just going to be another earth but maybe in some way it's going to be more glorious or different and it's going to be different in such a way that we probably can't really understand it. But this question that you're asking me is so off base that you don't even understand what you're asking. And then he cuts to the heart of their belief in the resurrection. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses and in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're quite wrong. Now, why this is so important is because I mentioned to you the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, obviously. They didn't believe in angels and miracles. But also, the only scripture, the only writings that they accepted as scripture was the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament and some of the Psalms. They accepted none of the prophets as being the word of God. So what does Jesus do? He takes them to the part they believe, the Torah, to the Exodus, and to Moses, in a place that most people wouldn't think about talking about the resurrection. But he's saying, he says to them, you don't believe the dead are going to be raised? You don't even have an understanding of what I meant when I say I am the God of Abraham. I, not I was the God of Abraham and Isaac. I am. Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, they're still very much alive. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. So you're quite wrong. 
Jesus is saying to us, even Moses taught about the resurrection. So when we read in the New Testament, and we see Paul saying things like, the gospel was preached to Abraham. Or the prophets spoke of the gospel. Jesus is saying, hey, this is part of it you might have missed. Moses spoke of the resurrection. And it's why the it's why these leaders didn't question him anymore after this. He's blown a hole in every question they had. And not only that, but he's showing them exactly what he said here. You are wrong. You don't know the scriptures. You're the teachers of Israel. You're the law keepers. You're the ones who people look at and see you as righteous because you know the scriptures. But he's, Jesus says to them, you neither know the scripture or the power of God. So you can see why uh, they want him dead. <laughs> they want him to be quiet. Because all these, what they saw as clever arguments, he's knocked them down one by one. And they have nothing left to argue with. But I love how he concludes, and this is important for us to think about, and I want to read to you a few things about the resurrection. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And as Paul said one time, if we have hope in this life only, then we are among men most miserable or literally most pitiable. We ought to be pitied. If we're hoping in this great hope of resurrection and life after death, but if we have no, if that's not true, then we're just, we're just uh, running after the wind. There is no hope. But we know that this is true. And we preach this, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. The dead do, the dead in Christ not only are with him after death, as Jesus said even to the one on the cross dying beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So later our bodies will be raised. And there will be a heaven and an eternity that we'll be with God. And we may not understand all it's going to be like, and it may not be exactly what we think it's going to be like, but it's going to be what it should be like. And we'll be filled with nothing but joy and awe. I think we'll know each other. But I think Jesus points out here, everything's not, relationships are not going to be like we think they will there, here. There's going to be something different. So he knocks down this argument, this ridiculous scenario, because they're missing the whole point. The resurrection of the dead. Listen to how our confession puts it. The bodies of those who have died return to dust and undergo destruction, but their souls never die nor sleep because they have an immortal character and immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous are then made perfect in holiness and received into paradise. There they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light of the glory while they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. The souls of the wicked are thrown into hell where they will remain in torment and utter darkness reserved for the judgment of the great day. The scripture recognizes no place other than these two for souls separated from their bodies. At the last day, those saints who are found alive will not sleep will be, but will be changed. All the dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones, though they will have different qualities. 
Their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. And the bodies of the unjust will be raised by the power of Christ to dishonor. By his spirit, the bodies of the just will be raised to honor and will be made like Christ's own glorious body. Those are good, encouraging words, are they not? And then, of course, we have Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 that we hear a lot. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body that we have must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a beautiful thought. Sometimes we don't read those words except at funerals, you know. But we need to be encouraged by them. It is the hope of Christianity. Let's pray together and we'll serve the supper. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for these passages. Some of them are difficult. But I thank you that um, through study they at least become more clear. We understand a little better what it is you're trying to show us and say, say to us. We know that your law was not without purpose. Your law was always to bring the most glory to yourself and also to protect your people. And we pray that um, you would keep before us the truth of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, and that Christ, who is the first fruits, went before us. And the God who raised him from the dead will certainly raise us as well. We pray for those who might not have trusted in Christ, that you would give them faith to believe. Through their faith, you would save them. And we ask that you would continue to help us honor Christ in our lives. God, forgive us where we fail. We thank you that there is forgiveness in Christ, that all of our sin has been um, paid for at the cross of Calvary. And we just ask that you would give us better understanding of that. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.